The world is a new place, and we're all making adjustments. It moves faster and changes direction more frequently than ever before. People feel stuck, unfulfilled, and lost in their lives. I hear this all too often. Where are the answers? Someone please just give me the answers. Well, what if I told you the answers are finally here? My name is Scott McDonald, and I was once just like you. Join me on my process of personal development, pathway of success, and pursuit of happiness. For you see, my job isn't just to ask questions. My job isn't to just listen. My job is to ensure what happened to me does not happen to you. This is the Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast. I am your host, Scott McDonald. Today, I'm rejoined by Dan Lichterman, former NCAA coach. And today's topic is practicing with purpose. However, we're going to put a bit of a twist on the intro to the start of the show. Um, we've had some questions come in that uh, parents and players are looking to get some answers for. So the first question we have, Dan, is if a player, if a, if a coach contacts a, a player's club coach, let me rephrase that actually. If, the, if an NCAA team coach contacts a club and says, I want this specific player's email, is that coach allowed to give that email to the NCAA coach? Uh, from my understanding of the rules, and again, we're talking about a kid who's uh, not recruit age um, or you know, contact, I, I still think the club coach can give uh, that information again like they're either preparing for later on down the line when they can contact the kid or you know they're uh, building up their camp list things like that again with any of those uh, camps those are um, or recruiting days or whatever those are all uh, open and kind of first come first serve like you can't uh, you know only invite certain kids to those camps but um you know, I think that, you know, as coaches prepare their list for, for later on and for later contact, and um, then, yeah, the, the club coaches can, can certainly, and I, w- I would hope the club coaches are, are helping out the, uh, the college coaches. Yeah, that, that was my take on it too, is they're, they're inquiring about that email for that specific player because they want to give it to their camp database to make them aware of, hey, we have this to offer, come check out our campus. There still can be no direct recruiting conversations to be had, but it's, you know, kind of a, you know, sign of good faith that someone has seen you and, uh, you know, they'd really like it if you, if, if you're, if you have the interest to attend their camp and to see their campus is what we're saying. Yeah. I, again, I, I think that's, it's a bit of a, a gray area again, if you're, you know, you can't invite specific kids to camp. You could say, hey, could you send our information out to your team for a camp or whatever? Um, you know, I, I'm, again, not, not being in it right now, I, I don't know the specifics of the rules, but I think if you're more using it just to, to get your stuff organized and, and prepared for later on when you can contact kids, um, you know, there's, there's no, no issue there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think when it comes down to like, yeah, there, there's that interest there that, and that goes for a lot of players, not just for like any one specific player. It's just an early, early process they do to kind of get that, you know, blanket and net thrown out there to try and get some attraction for their program as well, because they do need to find ways to promote their, their program. So, um, I think the best way to sum it up is yes, it is allowed. But just keep in mind that there will be no direct recruiting conversations or contact between you and that school, even if you decide to go to any of their camps. Uh, even if you decide to contact that coach directly, uh, that will not happen until June 15th of your son or daughter's uh, grade 10 year. Yeah. Son, if it's a son, it's uh, January 1st. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. Grade 10 year. That's correct. January yeah. 1st. Yeah. Because they want to be ahead of the draft, right? Is that yeah. the, for the OHL? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Having a grade 10 son, I, I know that those rules. Those rules very well. There you go. 
So let's get back on topic for today. It is practicing with purpose. So what's your uh, definition of practicing with purpose? You know, how does a player approach it? How does that conversation even come up or that mindset, uh, you know, that players come in practicing and training with purpose day in and day out? Well, I I think it's, um, there's a lot of parts to it. And I I think especially as you go into the off-season part here, it's figuring out, right, what what do I need to get better at and what am I good at and what do I still, you know, how can I enhance what I'm good at too? So it's having a purpose every time you train. I I look at like in a situation for me when I'm working with a kid individually on on their shooting, um, you know, and I think Turkey talked about this too when, when you had him on, it's not, it's not like, Hey, let's just grab a hundred pucks and see how fast we can shoot a hundred pucks. It's let's, focus on on the one puck that we are shooting right now because and one thing I always try to talk to to kids about um, you know think think about the game like how many shots towards the net are you going to have in an average game and you know most players and again depending on position it's going to change a little bit but let's say roughly three or four you know you're going to have three maybe four opportunities to shoot the puck towards the net in the game so every puck that you shoot in training, every puck that you shoot in practice, every puck that you shoot in warm-up, you got to think that's only one of three chances or one of four chances that I'm going to have. So whether you're in a training session and you end up shooting 200 pucks, every puck is still only one of four. So that's the, you know dialing in with that kind of specific mentality um, of your training and having that purpose uh, and then to take it to the next step with, with each drill. And this is something I, I always joke with Cody about. Um, and I always like to, to put on, on him too, is, is ask why, like, why are we doing this? Like, what, what does this have to do with the game? And I know Cody and, and a lot of his stuff and especially with defensemen is very good about having these specific patterns and, and things that, um, you know, you'll watch an NHL game and you'll see D doing that stuff. So, um, you know, I always joke with Cody, I call him super Y because, uh, like I'll, if, if the kids, uh, don't ask him why, I always say, well, Cody, why are we doing this? So, you know, anytime that you're in practice, it's okay to say to the coach and, and as a coach, I better have an answer as to why. So it's okay to say, Hey, you know what, like what, what situation? Are, are we doing this? And I mean, example, even yesterday, and I'm lucky enough to, to have a, a place where I can bring my kids in to shoot right now, um, even though we're isolating, you know, so it's just us in there. And uh, my son, like, was doing something with my son yesterday, and he's like, well, like, what situation, where am, how am I going to use this? What are, like, what part of the net am I looking for in this situation? So, um, you know, that's how detailed you need to get, especially when you're doing a one-on-one session. Like if you're just doing a one-on-one session where someone drops 500 cones and says, go stick handle around it, uh, to me, you're wasting your money. Um, I'm not a big cone guy. Um, you know, I'll put some objects down just to, so you have to maneuver, like change the angle of your shot, um, you know, adjust your hands, those kinds of things. Um, but there should always be a purpose in a game relation from a coach's side to the drill you're doing. And then from a player's side, understanding, okay, why am I doing this? Where am I using this in the game? Because at the end of the day, uh, the reason we practice is, is not just to get better, is to get better for the games, right? Mom and dad are there, maybe grandma and grandpa, brothers and sisters, maybe boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, you know, everybody's at the game. Nobody, really goes to watch you practice uh, except for me I love to watch practices and steal drills but um, you know so it's really being able to dial in on each detail of, of what you're doing and why you're doing it yeah it's interesting Brian Adolski had had said that and he and more so about that stealing the drills part by watching other people's practices which he chuckled about but he mentioned about uh, I believe it's in Russia there was 49 year olds on the ice and only one instructor and their engagement in running their own station was so dialed in because they were extremely dedicated to that one specific drill that they were working on. He'd never seen anything like it, not even 
in the US or Canada. So it's interesting when people say, well, you know, it's not realistic. We should do a little bit of everything. Well, there's nine-year-olds in Russia who are taking care and in, in extreme ownership of their own training on that specific thing. And there was six stations and they knew what the purpose was and they're going through it all through the ringer. Um, what, what, what makes a player have that kind of take that extreme ownership and practicing with purpose? Like, is, is that something that's just embedded in them or do you believe that's a, that's something that has to be built up over time? What's, what's your opinion I, I, on that? It, it, it can go either way. Um, it, it can go twofold. Um, you know, there's some kids that just have that in them that, that love that detail. Um, you know, that love asking, asking questions and, and can really picture where things happen on the ice and in the game. And there's other kids that have to be taught or told, Hey, like, what, what are you doing? Um, you know, again, the, the, lots of kids that I work with individually, there's some kids that have to say, Hey, can you slow down and, and just breathe here for a second? Like we, you know, I'll, I'll always ask uh, some of the younger age, like how many underwater games do you play? And usually the answer is none. And so you don't have to practice holding your breath while, while you're training, right? So you have to learn how to breathe, um, you know, to, to help you, especially in shooting. Like, you know, once you let that air exhale, now your muscles loosen. Now you can get even further through a puck, right? If you're tight. Um, that now your body holds up, your brain stops working properly, um, all those kinds of things. So, you know, incorporating that breathing into your training too, but, um, just so much of it. And I find so many kids now, there's just, there's really that lack of imagination. Um, you know, it's, well, if I'm not shooting in training, like if we're not on a full sheet of ice. I'm a defenseman. I'm not exactly shooting from the spot of the blue line that I shoot from in a game. I can't picture it. So, you know, I think kids really have to start to, you know, again, like the place I teach shooting is like a 25 by 40 or 30 by 40 small sheet of ice. So it's hard to replicate where you're shooting at from a defenseman, but you can replicate how you're shooting. And, and so, um, you know, you have to, and even, you know, with OHC, we'll break into stations or, or anywhere, you know, if you're with your team and you're in stations, you're going to be in different parts of the ice. You just have to use your imagination. Okay. Like this is, um, you know, I'm dot line or just inside dot line top of the circles. This is what, what I'm replicating. Or if you don't know, ask, right? Like it's okay to, to ask questions and and then again for uh, as coaches and coaches that are listening you, you better have a, an answer to why you're doing this drill and again the answer can be well this is we're just warming up you know which is fine uh but if it's just like we're just shooting pucks to shoot pucks and i use this uh, analogy all the time and sure a lot of a lot of the oec kids listening have heard me say this like it, you know you go to the zoo you go to the monkey cage what do they do they just pick up poop and throw it anywhere, right? So, you know, uh, especially talking about passing, like we're not throwing monkey poop. We're not monkeys in the zoo. We're not just throwing monkey poop for our passes. You're not just throwing monkey poop at the net, um, you know. So you got to be detailed and, all right, where am I shooting this puck? Why am I shooting it here? Um, you know, and sometimes the purpose is to not necessarily score, but to create a rebound, create that second chance. Um, and actually I came up with a term, uh, yesterday for a lot of the places my son was shooting, he was going crest down instead of bar down. So it was hitting, hitting right where the, the goalie's crest would be. So, uh, that's, that's my new favorite phrase. We used to call that when I coached that name, we used to call that line change. So when you hit the goalie right in the stomach and, and, uh, they'd catch the puck. So you got to the point after, uh, few weeks where like someone would hit the goalie in the, in the stomach and you'd hear the, the whole team would yell line change during practice. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I remember I used to start and if I went back to coaching, I would still do it was start with conditioning skating drills and it was really basic stuff. And I remember I'd get players and parents saying, why are we skating? You know, like uh, we should be focused on systems. And when I was younger, the smart ass coach of me would say, well, have you seen your kids skate? Or have you seen yourself skate? Can you feel the way you skate? 
Yeah. How do you feel? Well, I'm not a very strong skater. Yeah. That's why we're skating. And they couldn't well, comprehend it, it, I mean, that. It's, yeah. It's even, uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of leads into like, you know, when kid, well, this drill is easy. Well then make it harder for yourself. Like, um, and not that I, I want Sidney Crosby to be hurt, but I love when like he's coming back from injury and they show him practice. And, and if you go back and you watch any of those clips, like, like Crosby, it's not fancy stuff. Like hockey, the, the better you are at the simple stuff and the more effortless and easy you can do the simple stuff, the better hockey player you're going to be. So there never should be a point where a drill is too easy for you. If it's too easy, you're making it too easy for yourself. You're not challenging your hands enough. You're not challenging your feet enough. You're not challenging your accuracy on your shot enough. Um, You know, the, the drills really don't need to be complicated. What you need to do is challenge yourself to be better at, at the simple stuff. And, and so, um, you know, everyone wants this fancy, you know, toe drag, flip it over, flip the puck over this and that and turn around. And, you know, like, I mean, there's very rarely are you going to beat two people one-on-one in the same play. You really, you know, shouldn't, um, you know, I, I laugh though, like, uh, I know Turkey talked about something like the, you know, he's not a cone guy either. Um, I remember he he was uh, at the Hill Academy the day after Matthews scored the four goals in his first game, and there's the one goal where like he he dangled two people in the neutral zone, lost the puck, went and got it back, went and beat the same guy again, and then beat another guy one on one, and and Turkey comes in, he goes, I hated that. He goes, I like that Matthew scored, but man, did it, you know, makes a lot of us coaches look stupid for saying that that never happens because it just did. But it, it really does rarely happen, right, where you're going to beat three or four people in, in one play uh, having to make moves around them. So, you know, a lot of what I know for me, what I like to focus on, it's you're making one move, beating one person, and then you get the puck ready to shoot or pass. And, and so – um, you know, again, it's it's kind of I think breaking everything down to its simplest form and making that drill purposeful to how can you use whatever we're doing in a game to score? Because last last I checked, that's the objective of the game, right? I know there's a lot of the analytics people who who would rather uh, it just be keep away, and then if you keep away the puck from everybody else, then you win. Um, you know, that to me, that's more of a, a soccer mindset where you, you know, you get a goal in the first minute and then you play keep away for the rest of the game. But, um, you know, like you need to go score goals at, at the end of the game. The team that scores the most wins. Uh, it's really, you know, not, not rocket science there. So, um, you know, again, have, have that purpose of, of understanding what the objective is not just within that drill, but okay, then how does that relate to what happens next? Also, like, okay, so I make this move, I make this shot, or I make this pass, what, what do I do next? Because that's, you know, that's great, we can do stuff, but if you don't, if you're not ready for what happens next, then it really doesn't matter that you drilled all this stuff. Yeah, and, and to rebuke back to when there's the question of, okay, why are we doing this? This is too simple for me. I can't get into it. Well, clearly it's not that simple to you because you cannot get your mind ready to do it at your best, the best of your ability. Like mechanically, it might be very simple for you, but you cannot get your mind in the right place for you to do it. And you're saying it's easy. No, if anything, it's difficult. You have a tough time doing simple tasks, taking direction on simple tasks. It's almost like when you see some athletes who skip a level. Oh, I, I don't, I'm not playing at, at my age group because I'm going to dominate and kill everyone and shellac everybody. And I'm going to get no benefit out of it. So I'm going to skip a level. Okay. Well up there, the expectation is that you probably will fail more than you'll succeed because you're the underager. What you just, you just took your own soul though, because now you don't know how to deal with it. If you were, if you are that player, go prove it. 
But at the same time, even if you were tops, what happens now when you go through some adversity against your own age group? You don't know what to do. Well, and I, yeah, I think that's the, the challenge with it. And, uh, you know, when you talk about, you know, whether you're skipping a, a level or an age group or, um, you know, every every kid is different and what every kid needs out of, out of everything is, is different. I think there's definitely something to be said for for being a top dog and for, you know, being that person that, that can be relied on. But there's some kids who need that training in adversity, but don't expect to go to the next level and be the top player, um, you know, or push yourself to, to be that. You know, I, I worked with a kid the, the not last year, but the, the previous three years um, who went to the OHL as, as an exceptional status underager this year and had a great year. And you know what? I could have probably told you before he went that he was going to have a great year because he he just works. He does what he does regardless of what age he's playing against, what the situation is, whether it's easy or hard. Um, in his training the previous three years, it didn't matter who was on the ice. He was his best. He was the best him every time he trained and that's the you know that's another thing is a lot of people well who else is going to be there well who cares like (coughs) if you believe in the coaching and you believe in the training it shouldn't matter who else is on the ice Uh, especially in you know like you're not scrimmaging you're doing skills It, it doesn't matter you could have uh you know again a an ohl player and a minor Adam A player on the ice at the same time, it shouldn't matter because you're doing the drill to your ability and to your pace. So, you know, a lot of these people ask, well, you know, I got to train with, with this other kid and train. No, like you got to train with yourself. You know, there can be other kids on the ice, but if really, if you need other people at your training session to push you to be better, you got to have a look in the mirror and say, okay, what, what do I got to do to push myself to be my best every time I touch the ice or every time I touch a weight or every time I go for a run or whatever it is, why, why does there always have to be this comparison and, and this other thing pushing me to, to be the best I can? And that's really the true thing is self-motivation. It's the only kind of motivation. You got to motivate yourself because yeah. here's, here's the thing. What happens if the motivator doesn't show up that day? Then what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, and honestly, it's the thing I noticed in probably the mid-2000s, um, just a change in, in general mindset of, of – and I don't know where the, the flip switched. Like you used to walk into the locker room and you could tell the kids were, were motivated. I know when I played, I, I don't know if I ever heard a word that a coach said. It might as well have been Charlie Brown's teacher up there talking. Like I was dialed in. I was ready to go. Um, so whatever the coach said motivated me because I was ready to go. But there was uh, there was a change at, at some point where you'd walk into the locker room as a coach and kids are sitting back and oh, I hope you got something to motivate me today. Like if you're not, especially at the college level, like if you're not motivated to go play, you don't play that much. Like what's not exciting about going and playing a college hockey game? I, I don't know. Like if, if you, if you don't feel motivated to play uh, now and you're not in college, how, how are you going to be motivated when you get there? Um, you know, so I, I think you're absolutely right. Like there's, you know, there's going to be some extra motivation sometimes. Maybe you're playing against a former teammate. Um, maybe you're playing against a coach that cut you. That can be a little extra motivation. Um, but I don't like to me, if you're not motivated to go play your best every time, then again, you got to do a mirror check and figure out, all right, either how do I get to that point or I got to rethink a little bit of what I'm doing here. Yeah. If, if you have to ask the question, how do you stay motivated? You don't got it in my, 
non-professional opinion. And it, that goes back to, you know, the, say the gym training. When there is a lower level athlete or a younger athlete in the gym and the higher level athlete that comes in and the whole focus is, oh no, that, that doesn't work for me. That, it's like when Hulk Hogan was in WCW when he had creative control. That doesn't work for me, brother. Okay, well, let's change the whole show around for you. And look what that happened. They went into business. And I think that's, that goes back again to getting over the fact that not everyone around you is going to be at that level that you need to be the best version of yourself. If you're going to be chasing someone, which I get, you, you, you hang around with people that run faster than you, you're going to run faster. But there's something to be said from the mental side of it. Where if you cannot be the fastest in the room that day, and it's what David Goggins calls taking souls. So let's say you're a triple-A boy hockey player in Toronto, in the Mecca. And you go to a, a skate, and you're the only one who plays at that level, and there's kids that play A and kids that play double-A. And if you're going to sulk around the ice during the whole training session because you feel you're too good, well, right away, those players at the lower level they got to you. They took your soul. They won because there was really nothing to win other than for you to utilize that hour or that hour and a half as best as you could. But you have such an ego at such a young age that they won. And know what they're going to be able to say now? Oh, did you see so-and-so just hated the fact that he was out there with me today? Perfect. I got under his skin. I didn't even have to do anything. He did it to himself. Now I know that's a psychological advantage for that player because if that player gets better in a few years when they see them, it's just going to be, okay, well, that's going to kill them now. Hey, remember when you used to be better than me and now we're, we're playing against each other now? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? You, you, you sold yourself short when it comes to your, your mindset. And I think, that's a, I think your mind is, is the pro one of the most valuable assets that you have next to time. Oh, for sure. And it's, you know, it, if you're the best player on the ice, bring other people to your level. And, you know, I, I think one thing I, I look at my son's progression, um, you know, when he was in grade seven, he was on the ice quite a bit with a lot of, you know, high end triple A guys. And he was playing a hockey. And he's like, holy crap. All right. That's how I have to work every day to be at that level and so i think in, in that regard it can be good that he just he's like all right and now i see how i have to act and behave and so so he went and pushed himself to get to that level and, and got to that level within a year which is awesome and, but now it's that push you have to maintain your level or keep increasing your level, even though, you know, again, it's that don't want to get caught in that. I was good enough to get there mentality. All right. Well, what, what are you going to do tomorrow? Like, that's, that's great. You had a, you had a great day. And, and this is a thing, you know, I, I saw this a lot in college hockey, you know, a lot of kids, Hey coach, did you see how, how great that shift? Yeah, that was a really good shift. Now go have another one, <laughs> you know, like that's great. But what, what are you going to do next? Okay. So you had one great shift. Let's say you have one great shift out of 15 in a game. Well, did you play a great game or did you play good once? Like, you know, so it's, it's striving for that, that excellence uh, consistently. And, and so, and, and it's not, you know, um, you know, there's, there's always the, the phrase practice makes perfect. Well, if, if you practice crappy, what are you perfecting? Um, you know, so it's got to be that perfect practice makes perfect, right? Or I look at it more of trying to strive for excellence rather than perfection because perfection for everybody is different. So there, there really can't be a, a perfect, but there can always be an excellent. Yeah, I, I remember uh, the Toronto Argonauts came to my school years ago and they were talking about, uh, you know, being the best version of yourself and all that good stuff. And one of the players at the time, uh, he said, practice doesn't make perfect, it makes improvement. Because development you can't measure. And I think that's a, a, a big thing that players and parents don't understand. You cannot measure development. It's, it's impossible. You can, measure, you can measure successes, 
uh, you know, goals, assists, wins, losses, that's, that's all measurable. But to say that one does a toe drag that much quicker than the other, or one can do this drill that much better than the other, it doesn't make sense. And uh, I think to, to go back to where this mindset change, I still say it was the first NHL lockout because that lockout killed the power forward, which there used to be a lot of them in the game. And that was a different type of mentality to play that way, to be a goal scorer, a producer, but also to be one of the, the hardest workers and heaviest hitters on the team. Well, I, I think also, too, when you look at, you know, whether it's free agency or this ability to, to move from, from team to team, it's, it's become... There's no dynasties anymore. There's no, no well, it's leaders. Become, it's become an, an individual sport that you happen to play with five other people on your team on the ice at the same time. Uh, because it's about what did I do? What did I get? Um, you know, I, I joke one one of the U18 players that I that I coach, and um, in those games, like I'll keep track of our our own stats, just you know, so we have something that we can give to junior teams. I don't want to trust, you know, the the referees to keep track of assists or whatever. And you know, he'd he'd come back to the bench. I thought, well, I think I got an assist on that one. Well you made a pass and then there were like four or five other passes before we scored. So yes, you made a good play. You didn't get an assist, but that's fine. Like you made a good play. Like at the end we scored. So that's great. Like I'll never forget actually the the first year that I coached rep hockey up here with, with my son's group when the kids were novice. Um, (laughs) One kid uh, we had one one D grab the puck behind our net, goes end to end around all five of their guys, takes a shot, the goalie stops it, and this kid taps it in. And he comes back to the bench, he goes, Coach, I scored. I'm like, Yeah, but but that guy did all the work. So maybe go pat him on the back. And I said, Also, uh, we scored. That's great. You you finished it, but we scored. So, you know, and I think it's hard for, you know, just in the way hockey is now to care a lot more about we than me. And there's times where you do have to be selfish. But, um, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be a hard flip to switch when you do get to college and the we is way important than, than what me does. Uh, because if what, what me does is more important than what we do, you're going to find yourself out of the lineup or off a team. I remember when I was coaching some of my prospect teams and, you know, when we, you know, because we had some good clubs in the 2016, 2017 time when I was coaching. Uh, and sometimes we would score a goal or come off or it'd be after a championship win, be like, Hey, who got that one? And everyone was, I don't know. We, we won. Who cares? And that was the difference between that group and other groups who try to emulate them. And I think that's why that team had so many players who got scholarships early on and a lot of university interest because they were just focused on playing the game of hockey and winning. They weren't too concerned on who did what. And they actually preferred it. Some of even my top players on that team were saying, you know, it's nice to know there's eight other, eight other forwards or we got two or three defensemen who can, you know, whistle at home and, and put up goals too because it makes me pr- play better in different areas of the game than just having to be relied on as a goal scorer all the time. So that it's interesting that comes up. Um, what do you, what do you feel that uh, the basics, you know, implementing that in, in the practice and the purpose of completing and executing those basics. Like we say, a lot of athletes will say, Oh, well, that's too easy. I can't get into this. And some are just, Hey, this is the basics are the warm up before you get into the other stuff, you know? So yeah, how important I mean, do you think if, the if basics you, are? If you can't skate, handle a puck, or pass, there's no sense in working on your power play. There's no sense in working on a breakout. Um, you know, you'll you'll see some of these groups at the youngest ages. Well, we got to work on our breakout. We got to work on our position. Uh, no, you got to pass. You got to know how to pass and make a good pass because the whole point again is for your team to have the puck. You work hard defensively to get it. So why make one bad pass and give it right away or not be able to handle the more catching passes? And that's, 
uh, an area and well, whether it's boys or girls like past reception is probably the um the worst skill right now for every hockey player is past reception um you know uh, if if you can't catch and handle a pass then all uh, you know, you might as well open up the 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 pastry shop and just sell turnovers, right? Because that's all you're doing. You're just giving giving the puck right back to the other team. So, um, you know, that's those types of skills, and and whether it's a warm up drill or whatever, like really dial in on catching passes. Like we uh, one of one of our guys um, on, on our U18 team that I coached this year. Um, like he could not receive a puck on his backhand, and some of it was was his stick, uh, just the lie of his stick didn't allow very much of his blade to be on the ice. The curve of his stick, uh, you know, everything if it came uh, three quarters of the blade or up, it just rolled off his stick because of his curve. So he really had we really had to work with him a lot on making sure that as he was, as the puck was coming to his backhand, that he was really only utilizing the heel of the stick to catch backhands. Otherwise that, that puck was, was going all over the place. So that's the kind of detail and purpose you can, you can get into. <clears throat> and as a player, if you can identify those kinds of things, like, geez, I really have trouble with this and either figure out why yourself or ask, Hey coach, like I, I can't catch this pass on my backhand. Why? Or, you know what? In tight to the net where I end up a lot, I can't elevate the puck. Why? You know, is it hand position? Is it your stick? Is it your, your curve? Is it your pattern? Um, what is it? And then you can identify that and, and work on that. And don't be afraid. Like when you get out at the start of practice, you know, if you have five, six, seven minutes, I know a lot of coaches who do that, you know, where you just have some time to it's okay to go ask coach hey or before practice email coach or text coach hey you know what i'm really having trouble with this can we spend a couple of minutes at the start or end of practice working on this perfect or if you have a skills guy or you know i have people who come in with with me all the time hey you know what i've had this shooting situation happen in the last few games and i just i can't get the puck in a good place in this specific situation, can we work on some stuff like that? You got it, right? So use use your network to make yourself better. Just say, well, geez, my backhand sucks. I guess that's going to be the way it is, right? Like, well, do something about it. I remember when I was playing uh, in the GTHL, I had a coach, Bill Shadlock, who was really old school, but he was most winningest coach in the program. And uh, my older brother had played from actually, they, they went almost two years without a loss and won everything. Um, I know people say that, oh, everyone says that. No, this team literally obliterated everyone. And this coach mate took, they were already obliterating everyone. And this coach mate took a team that would obliterate everyone to an undefeated season. That was the difference. And I remember one practice because the same thing, pucks bouncing off my stick and he stopped the whole practice took my hand, taped it low uh, on there, and it made me force me to bend my knees to get better leverage on the stick. And the assistant coach and I, for ten minutes back and forth, just receiving pucks, something that simple. And I still remember that practice. I've never had an issue since that day to receive a pass. And it was funny because in my coach's clinic, I told that story to our group, and all the instructor had said was. <laughs> well, you're scarred for life. No, no, there's a reason why I went to a higher level than you because you're the guy running the clinic who was bragging about how he coaches house league. And I thought that was interesting about how the purpose of the story was to say these skills can be fixed very simply if you'll buy in and not do the, well, this is stupid, receiving passes for 10 minutes. It fixed a, it fixed a bad habit for the rest of my life. But someone perceived that as, oh, well, how could you do that to someone? Okay, well, if he didn't do it, then I would have yeah. been not catching the pass properly for the rest of my life then. And I probably yeah, wouldn't well, have scored taping, as many schools taping, I had. Taping the, hand, taping the hand to the stick is, is definitely old school coaching, and I would not recommend that now because – Well, it was 2002, so Dan. <laughs> uh, that's old. Well, We still yeah. used wood sticks. 
<laughs> Syn- yeah. Synergy well, hadn't come out go. yet. <laughs> 02? Uh, I'm trying to think when... Uh, it was right around that time when when the Synergies came out. They certainly weren't... Uh, well, and that's everyone. Like, uh, I mean, I used to use a, a two-piece before... Uh, before uh, I was actually I was coaching junior when the synergy came out we had a, a equipment sponsor was Easton so I, I actually had one of the first synergies um, and no idea where the puck was going when I shot it but I could wire it that's for sure um, you know but like everyone I mean I had a kid two years ago uh, Pee Wee who was using a wood stick oh I like the feel you have no idea like and it is like catching pucks with a wood blade compared to a composite blade is different. It's a different skill because it's a different surface and and it's a different feel. But um, you know you don't see too many people going around with uh, with wood golf clubs anymore, do you? Like no, and it's funny. So you can I hit the ball five hundred yards farther with the other one. It's funny actually. When I was talking to Turkey, he would still pick Al McInnes for the hardest shot challenge out of anyone. It because. He said with a composite stick, he would still have the hardest shot. It would probably be up around 109, 110, where I think it's uh, Chara and Weber were in the 108s. Yeah, well, that's so, a lot of his technique, right? Like being able to generate that that power, um, you know. So it's, uh, you know, and that's, that's so much, uh, again, you get back to, to to purposeful practice. Like it's it's about creating that muscle memory and that mind to body in training where now I get to the game, I don't have to think, Oh, should my hands be here? Where do I have to have the puck place? Like it's just now react and let, you know, let your body take over. There's a, a, a girl who plays at, at the junior level who, who I worked with, um, you know, for about a year. And once a week consistently, and it took four or five months of coming in where I no longer had to watch her warm up because I knew in warm up, she now had that muscle memory to create the the shot the way she wanted to. And that's another thing, like, you know, as purposeful training or purposeful uh, warm up, like what, what are you using your warm up in the game for I, I know when i played i would max take three shots because if i didn't get that right feel in those three shots then it wasn't happening for me that day right so use that warm-up just to get that feel of all right you know what my hand needs to be here this is the pressure i want i'm going to drive this puck exactly where i want it and it's not high glass and it's not off the goalie's helmet and it's not right in the goalie's chest. It's low into the goalie's pad. So, God forbid, the goalie get a feel for the puck and the goalie get comfortable because, I mean, I think most teams would like their goalie to play well every game. And how, how many games, you know, go to next next game you're allowed to go to, count how many shots go off the glass and warm up. Uh, there, there was, uh, I think it was last year, they um, – you know, Sportsnet or, or Hockey Night in Canada did. They had uh, radar guns on guy shots in warm up, and when the starting goalie was in there, compared to when the backup was in there, there was a at least a fifteen mile an hour difference per shot. So when the starting goalie was in there, guys were just laying pucks into the goalie's pads, let the goalie feel, and all of a sudden the backup got in there. And now you're dialed in. Now you're you're jamming pucks, right? And, and rifle and pucks, and then starter gets back in there, you dial it back, let the starter feel the puck. Um, you know, it's nothing worse for, for your starting goalie than first first shot goes ripper bar down. Like that doesn't really make them feel real good. Yeah, I've had that debate with uh, coaches and with parents before where they're, oh, why are they just shooting on the goalie? This, this, like, how are we supposed to get prepared in the three, five minutes they give us? I said, well, the warm-up is for the goalie and for you to get your – hands going to get a feel in a groove and they'll be like no 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 the, the warm-up and you always ask them hey did you play hockey growing up or just, no 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 i didn't do that i you know i i took math <laughs> and uh and it's interesting because uh 
they're like, oh, we're not doing anything to get the D engaged on a two-on-one or a three-on-two. Well, that's what practice was for. Um, you know, we're not we're not doing the breakout and warm up. Well, how perfect do you? It's kind of funny actually. You do a half ice practice for your breakout, and the players and parents will complain at at the practice. Why were you doing that half ice? And the other half was for doing whatever. But then they want you to do it in a warm up that's half ice. So, in my mind, it's always been to get your warm up, get your goalie warmed up, get your shot going, just get a feel, you know, and let the let sleeping dogs lie after that go play the game and see what happens and that gets to my next point for goalies who goalies feel they have no purpose in a practice and it'll come from parents too well my kid's just a target there was the we need the goalie coach out there you do realize that a lot of these drills are game situation you know different angles two on one one on one three on two breakaways and you feel that you're just a target how self-absorbed is that concept that you won't even practice game situations. You need to get technical and have a coach say, okay, I'm going to shoot glove now. Be ready. Well, I, I think even with goalies and I know younger goalies, even some older goalies that, that I've worked with, you know, and this is, it's also a challenge as a coach to make sure the timing, like if you're doing a multi-shot drill, the timing has to be right for the goaltender as well, right? But also, like, if you have a, a drill going where there's, you know, a couple passes or something before the shot, and you'll just see the goalie will only stay on the angle where that shot's coming from, even though there's some multi-directional passing or, or things like that. Like, you know what? Goalies start where the puck is. Follow the puck. Track the puck. After you make a save and you direct the rebound, up track just like you would in a game and that's again also the challenge to coaches is you're doing drills and designing drills make sure you allow that time for the goaltender to be able to track that last puck and they're even you know in working with a, a lot of different goalie coaches uh you know sometimes the drill isn't for the goalie sometimes it is just a hey we're, we got three shots coming quick and, you know, so our, our goalie coach, like at the Hill Academy, uh, he'd tell the goalies, like, listen, this is, there's three shots coming quick. You're not going to be ready on every one. That's fine. But just that last one, make sure you're ready on that last one and make sure you're tracking that rebound wherever that goes. Right. So, again, you can take bits and pieces of, of everything because sometimes when there's, you know, there are times at, at the Hill we'd have, 26 guys at our practice and so you know you can't just go one shot at a time you're trying to get everybody going um get everything moving and so there there are some some times where it's rapid shot but that's where you know again even if you're not the goalie coach if you're just a regular coach hey here's what i expect out of you in this drill just like you would talk to a skater you know and and i know uh, like I always, I'll put goalies, you know, if we split up and goalies are in one end and then we got normal people, right. Um, <clears throat> you know, but you still have to have to interact with the goalies a little bit. And at the end of the day, the only instruction they really need is just get in front of the puck, right. How hard is that? Yeah. And like I I'm say, joking by the way on that. Yeah, so yeah. goalie parents can calm down. <laughs> yeah, we ripped hard enough on them. We'll move to D and <laughs> we'll move to D and forwards next. And you know, it comes to you know that purpose when it's a two on one drill or a three on two or a three on one or one on one, and you see the defenseman just passively feels that he or she just needs to be there and let the player get around. They don't really engage and try to suck the the the, for, the puck carrier in and then step up and kind of be elusive that way you know, keep the elbow tucked, extend on the, on the stick check as you draw them in. Um, you know, it, sometimes you can get too passive in a practice like that. Like how, how important is it to, to have a, for a coaching staff to, when they, they see those poor habits coming out in the practice to, to stop and say, Hey, you know, this is the purpose of why we're doing this. Well, if, if you allow it in practice, then how, how can you get mad at it in the game? Like I always looked at, and I've had this uh, 
you know, they used to have the uh, NHL like daily calendar thing. It would have different facts or, um, you know, little quotes or, or whatever. And so I have one. This is from my first year coaching junior. So 1998. And I still have this, the, the sheet from the day. It was when Larry Robinson was coaching the LA Kings and said, I love practice because I can blow the whistle before we get scored on, you know? So I always looked at it as a coach of practice is my time. Practice is when I get to teach, when I get to prepare. Once we get to the game, like if, if I have to tell you a bunch of stuff in the game, then I didn't do a good enough job in practice, right? It's like, like a teacher with a test. Like, honestly, if, if, if you have a whole classroom of kids that fail a test, that's on you as a teacher, I, I think. You didn't do a good enough job teaching the material. It's not that, oh, these kids are stupid. Well, you know, teach them, right? And, and I feel that way as a coach. I used to love coaching college hockey. Like, um, you know, all of a sudden the parents arrive on Friday. Well, are, you know, how are they today? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I did a really good job Monday through Thursday getting them prepared. So now it's up to them. Right. And if we have 18 kids who don't play well, then geez, I got to go back. I got to look, what did I do that week that, that didn't prepare us well enough. Um, but that's also as a player. Um, so my first year at Maine, we're playing at New Hampshire. And this is, you know, one thing that, I mean, any level of hockey, but especially college hockey, uh, every rink is different, right? Like university of New Hampshire's rink, it's an Olympic size rink might even be wider than that. It's just, it's like a square. It's a giant square. And back then too, New Hampshire had really good teams and their D played really tight gaps. So every drill that we did in practice that week had an indirect pass in it. And I guess I didn't do a good enough job explaining that because in the first period of that game, we made zero indirect passes. And so it was either me not explaining what we were doing or us just not understanding why we were doing it. Um, so I went in, in between the first and second period and I drew most of the drills that we did. I, I drew them on the board in the locker room. I said, what, what's the common theme of all of these drills? Well, there's an ind indirect path behind the defenseman. Yeah. And we didn't do it once in the first period. So why do you think we did this? all week long. Oh, and then all of a sudden the light bulb went off. So, you know, I had to go back as a coach and say, all right, I didn't get my message across properly. And so we did a much better job in the second and third of using that space behind their D. So, um, you know, again, that's great. If you have an idea in mind as a coach, now you got to make sure that your players understand what's going on. And then from the player standpoint, you got to dial in. And if you don't get why this is happening, Hey coach, why are we doing all these indirect passes? You know, well, maybe cause you're sleeping during video when we showed video last time we played them and you know, we're making indirect passes behind them. Um, you know, so like it, it falls on, on both, but as a player dial in, try to figure out, Hey, like why? So, you know, here's our game plan for the week. Why, why are we doing this? If you don't get it, or if you do, Hey, all right. Yeah, this is awesome. Kind of reminds me when a uh, forward on a drill, one-on-one, -on -one, trying to stick handle through the defenseman to get to the net, yet they never think to. The, the one skill that I was, it, it was my go-to, and I was very good at it, was beating the defender on the outside. You know, because I, I knew that I could, you know, nine out of ten times, it's a simple stick check. You know, I'm not going to be toe drag city through the entire team you know, speed, power, going to the open. Um, and I think that's the one thing to pick on the forwards. They, they, they think the purpose of the practice is, oh, this is time for me to work on my dangles now, my hands, because I'm going to be a dangler one day. Well, and again, it's, it, it has to be understood. What is the purpose? Is the purpose to – and it's okay in practice to try those different things because your hands don't get better if you don't try to make them better. and you know, or, you know, it's, it's understanding how to, and I know in working with our kids over the last couple of summers, um, you know, we talk about change of speed, you know, creating gap. If there's a tight gap, you know, and you're not going full speed, 
now you can accelerate and use that space behind the D. If there is a big gap, and, and this is uh, a thing I hear from a lot of coaches too, and you'll hear during the game, like, so the D's got a huge gap in there. Go, go, go. Like, go. Like, why are you pushing your pace right into that defenseman? You just did the defenseman's job for them, right? Or especially if you're that guy without the puck two-on-one. You'll see so many times that person speed up so now the D is right in the middle of you and your buddy with the puck. You know, you have to slow down. You have to create a passing lane. You have to create uh, some sort of area where that puck can get through. Um, you know, so it's understanding, okay, if there is a big gap, now I have to use that space in front of the D. And that's okay if I beat a D in front. Because really, uh, what has to, to beat the defenseman and goalie, you or the puck? Well, it's about getting the puck in the net. Like, you don't get any points if, or extra points if the puck goes in and you go into the net, right? Like, it, it's creating, and, and even on those one-on-ones, there's little, like, watch Austin Matthews shoot the puck. Just a little drag in, change the angle, shoot it through a defenseman, right? So, um, you know, again, from a practice standpoint, there has to be a purpose. And, and as a forward in those situations, you know, Try changing speeds. Try beating that guy wide. Try slowing down and cutting back in front. Try beating the person with a stick handle. Try beating that D with a little pull and shoot. So, you know, that's a chance to improve your game. You'll see some kids, they just, all they do is the same thing every time. Um, you know, and like, you know, I'll just even warm up drills. Like I have one where we start in the neutral zone. You can go anywhere you want. And you'll see some kids, they'll just skate in a circle. Well, and they do that every time. Same direction, you know, right over left every time, just like it's public skate. You know, that's not very creative. So, you know, you, you really, and this is where it goes back uh, on each player, like challenge yourself. Try stuff that you're not good at. It's okay to, to fail, especially in practice. And I think that goes back to for – you know, practice doesn't mean you have to be going a million miles a minute to make it pur- purposeful. It is what you just said, trying new things. You have to start a bit slower before you can get really fast at it by being really good at it. And uh, that, again, it goes back to that mindset of, you know, just because you worked hard by exerting all your energy doesn't mean that, oh yeah, well, I worked hard. So I, I did my job at practice today. No, the execution and the success rate of what you were told to do today, that's more important. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point. I mean, I, and some of that, and, and I try to talk to kids all the time about trying to figure out, like, how do you learn? Because every kid learns differently. You know, some kids I'll draw a drill and, you know, some kids will just, they can visualize it, they can see it right away. And some kids have to come ask, ask a question. Okay, like, wait, am, am I going here? Like, where, where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And that's great, you know. Um, and same, like, you know, especially working individually. Like, if you have a skills coach, a skating coach, shooting coach, um, you know, it, usually the first session that I work with the kid, I'm, I'm just spending my time trying to figure out how they learn. Some kids really need to go super slow and get every little detail ingrained in their mind before they can do it fast. Some kids just want to go fast first, try, fail. Okay, all right, I need to adjust here. I need to adjust that, whatever, and and work backwards, right? Um, Some kids need to see you demonstrate it before they can do it. So some kids can just hear it, and boom, they've got it right away. Um, you know, so you, as an individual, you have to understand your learning style too. And I think it's, it's fair to go to your coach and say, listen, like, I, I don't, the way you're explaining it right now, I, I can't, I don't get it that way. Can you show us? Or it can also be, Hey, you know what? Like I just draw it and I get it. Right. Um, you know, I, and and some kids like you'll go to the board and, and you can see there's there's kids not really looking they're paying attention I'll just go to the back of the line I'll watch it and then I'll get it which that's fine too right but um, 
don't be the kid who doesn't get it and then go to the front of the line because that's frustrating for coaches and for your teammates. But um, understanding how you learn and how you learn best is, is really good. It, it, you know, it's, it's going to be able to make you better. Um, you know, several kids that I work with in, in shooting, and, and this is, I think, also <clears throat> a male-female difference. You know, the boys need to go, 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 fail, and then work backwards more, where girls are more, okay, I need to start slow and make sure that I get this. So I get it. And, you know, there's some kids that I'll just, you know, you can almost see their, their brain working. And it's like, okay, well, shoot, I, I messed that little part up or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, just slow down, get through it. But once they get it, they got it. Um, you know, where, and that's where I think slowing down and doing stuff and making sure your detail's right. Because um, once you get it, then, then, then you got it. And you're able to, to perform that at a higher rate. Where, you know, if you just go fast first, you're skipping a, a whole bunch of detail. And then you're always going to revert back to what you know and what you're comfortable with. And so if your comfort is being detailed, that's what you're going to revert back to. Your comfort is trying to blast through and be sloppy. Then that's what you're going to revert back to when, when you're in those game situations. And that goes back again to your uh, first episode we did here on real experience, get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, um, how, these little life lessons, these little sayings, they keep popping up and it's really that simple to try and put your whole, your whole roadmap for success together. And it's, it sounds so easy and yet they, they still, you know, athletes still struggle with it. And you really think too, like, you know, there's a purpose into starting that roadmap, putting pen to paper and figuring that out because once you figure it out, it's not so easy. That sometimes is all the momentum you need to start being more purposeful and more micro with skills that you want to work on and develop and get better. Um, and, I, and I want to, uh, we get, cause we're running out of time. Um, one of the final things is how important is it to communicate to the athlete at the start of the year, the purpose of how we do things around here, system wise, skill wise, you know, just general etiquette on how you present yourself on and off the ice in and around the arenas or stadiums, how important is to have those conversations at the start? I think it's important at the start, but I think it's important that, that continual uh, conversation and and those continual reminders. um, You know, I, I always feel bad as a coach, like, you know, there's actually something that that came up uh, with the midget team that I coached this year where, you know, we had talked about something in our initial meeting and then it, it actually, we didn't, we hadn't revisited that. And so we got to December and we're like, well, remember we talked about that in September. That's a long time ago. And so it's kind of those continual reminders, but, it, but I think even, you know, that's where, you know, you talk about leadership and, and things like that uh, within the group and that peer to peer learning, um, and, and that's why I, I do like in girls hockey where, where it is multi-age groups. So now you have some, some older kids who, you know, and, and younger kids mixed together. That, that's how you learn. When I was growing up, the, the first few years that I played, I played with kids three and four years older than me. Um, you know, I learned the, the way to fit in was to be good you go and you go to the rink and you keep your mouth shut and you go and you work as hard as you can. So no guy can say, listen, little punk, you're way younger than us and you're not working to our level. Um, you know, so you just go and you work and you, you try to be the, the best you can be in that. And also as an older player, you know, and this can be a whole different conversation about leadership, but um, I remember one year coaching junior uh, we had a kid, he, he had been, it was his fourth year with us. And, and most kids played in that league two or three years. It was his fourth year with us, and we're going on our first road trip, and he's sitting on the bus, you know, just yelling at the rookies to, you know, hey, rookies, load the bus. I'm like, hey, they don't know how. 
They don't know how to load. They've never loaded the bus before. How about you go be a leader and say, hey, here's where we put this. Here's how we do this. Here's where this goes. This is how this fits in the bus, right? And so, and that's the thing that I learned in, in college um, and probably the, the best lesson that I, that I brought into, into coaching too. Um, our captains and our seniors, when I was in college, they did everything. They were the guys picking up pucks. They were the guys loading the bus. And they were the guys helping the younger guys figure out, hey, listen, when we go to this place, you know, locker room's here, uh, then we got to go here, we're parking the bus here, but here's where the locker room is in this building. Those kind of little things that make it easier for, for rookies or freshmen coming in rather than, oh, go figure that out. Well, they don't know. Like, you've been there for three years. Um, and I'll never forget the, the conversation uh, the day after our rookie party uh, which they, you can't really do anymore. Like they shaved our heads and, you know, we had a few juice boxes or whatever. And, uh, and so the next day at practice, our captain and, and I came in, I, we had a, a freshman class of 11. So we had a lot of freshmen. Uh, and I came into a, a situation where our team had won five straight league championships. Um, so our captain, the day after our rookie party came to each freshman individually and said, listen, we don't have rookies here anymore. All we have are hockey players on this hockey team, and we need everybody if we're going to win a championship. And that was the, the greatest thing ever. Um, for a young player to hear that as well um, was, was huge. a huge confidence builder too. Like, okay, like I belong here. It's, not, it's no longer, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm running around. I, like, you know. So that, that's something too, uh, as a veteran, when you're a veteran player, like in, in a junior situation, you've been there a couple of years. Uh, now you gotta, you gotta lead. You gotta help those people. Hey, you know what? Here's, here's how we go on the road. Here's, here's what we do. Um, you know, when we get to a building that you haven't been in, Hey, you know what? Our locker room's here. We're going to warm up here. Um, you know, that, that's how, how you learn it. It can always be coach to player. It, it, so much of that, and it's more impactful when it's player to player. Absolutely. Dan, I think we really hit on some key points, and I think that uh, we really have to build on that leadership aspect next time. That's something that's right up Dan Church's alley for sure because he's actually getting his master's in it. So maybe we can sucker him into with his extended vacation that he's uh, receiving right now during this month of April due to a global pandemic. So I think we got to get him uh, working on us uh, on that leadership aspect a bit more for, uh, for our audience in the next episode. For sure. Absolutely. This is Scott McDonald with the Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast, signing out.